0: Today's episode of the Misha All Access Podcast is on the topic of name, image, and likeness in high school, NIL. This is a topic that has really become one of the hottest topics in high school athletics. And we are going to give you a conversation among four different State's executive directors and the CEO of the NFHS on today's podcast. It's really a fascinating conversation. I'm really proud of it and I'm really appreciative of my colleagues in other states for engaging in this conversation. I also want our membership to know that the conversation was recorded April 11th, of 2023. We are releasing this particular episode late May of 2023. And this particular topic, NIL in high school is an ever-changing topic. And so we've even had changes here in the state of Missouri between April 11th and the release of this episode. And we would expect that as this episode continues to be listened to throughout maybe the summer and even into the next year, that there could be continued changes. But we wanted our listeners to know kind of where Missouri is right now in the topic of NIL. And we have rooted all of our interpretations when it comes to NIL in our bylaw 3.6, which is our amateurism bylaw. And while that bylaw has been our guiding document for a long time in dealing with NIL type questions among our membership, we have attempted to rewrite that bylaw to include language that speaks to the current landscape when it comes to amateurism issues. And that language passed in our ballot this year, this spring in 2023, the language passed. And when the new handbook comes out in July, that language will be seen in our handbook. It reflects the longstanding interpretations of the state of Missouri on how does NIL pair with our historical amateurism interpretations. You're going to hear in this conversation that different states may have interpreted some of their own bylaws, which are likely very similar to what ours in Missouri were. They might have interpreted things different. Some states might have interpreted things very much like Missouri, but have since decided to change some of the ways that they have approached certain topics with NIL. All this to say missouri is going to be having this conversation in the coming school year the 2324 school year the members of the missouri state high school activities association will be engaged in a conversation to ensure that the historic interpretations of amateurism and nil still hold for each of our member schools and we want to make sure that we are consistent with the desires of our member schools and also the current situation in the laws and the courts so since the recording of this conversation and the release of this episode, there has even been legislation passed in the state of Missouri. House Bill 417 has a number of different regulations in a number of different areas. But in the middle of that bill has some language in regards to NIL and colleges, specifically colleges in the state of Missouri. And there are two very small areas where they discuss High school NIL. And it is our belief at this time that this law that has passed in the state of Missouri and will likely be signed by our governor. It is our belief that it applies to a very small number of students in our member schools, specifically those who are seeking a college scholarship, athletic scholarship at a Missouri college or university. And we believe that our bylaws will allow us to protect the eligibility of students who fit the descriptions of those listed in the legislation. This legislation is what we believe is the beginning of additional legislation that will come in future years on the topic of NIL. We also get questions from our member schools regularly about some of their students and some of the NIL agreements that they are asked to consider. And we want to ensure that our membership feels comfortable with our state's approach to NIL and amateurism. So with that context, We give you this conversation among the executive directors of the states of Tennessee, California, Kansas, and Missouri, as well as the CEO of the NFHS on the topic of NIL, and we ask that you as an individual listen and consider the themes that you're hearing and what in your mind should be driving Missouri's current view on this particular issue. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. Today, on the Misha All Access podcast, we have a special treat. We have guests from out of state. I think this is the first time on this young podcast that we have invited folks from outside of the state of Missouri to talk about an issue that is really a national issue, uh, but certainly very in front of us right now in Missouri because it's a ballot issue. It's one of our bylaws. We're looking to change our bylaws here in Missouri to speak to the issue of name, image, and likeness NIL. And NIL is a big topic at the college level. For anyone involved in sports and have an interest in college sports, you have heard about NIL and this very growing, changing landscape in NIL at the college level. But there is a high school component to this too, and it is also changing rapidly. So I want to introduce our guests today. We have four guests today from other entities. And so I'm going to start with Dr. Carissa Niehoff. She is the Chief Executive officer of the NFHS, the National Federation of High School Associations. Welcome, Carissa. Thank you. Great to be here with you, Jen. Thanks for coming. Chris is going to help speak about this issue from a nationwide standpoint. Chris, the NFHS is the Association of Associations, the Federation of All State Associations, and she can speak to what's happening on the national landscape. How does the NFHS view NIL and high school participation? And we appreciate her joining us today. The next one on my screen, I'm going to go that way, is Mark Reeves. He is the executive director of the Tennessee Secondary School Athletic Association. So Mish's sister to the east in Tennessee. Welcome, Mark.
1: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Mark's also in his first year as executive director. So we're in the newbie club together. And while Tennessee is a contiguous state to Missouri, we are also partners in the SEC particularly i was interested in inviting mark because tennessee has had very recent changes in their nil policy we want to hear about those changes in this podcast our next guest is ron nochetti ron is the executive director of the california interscholastic federation ron welcome
2: thank you and i appreciate the invitation to be here with all of you today
0: we're very interested in hearing about california because here in missouri in the middle of the united states the myth is there are no rules on high school sports in California. And so I know that's not true, but we want to hear about California's take on NIL and talk about maybe some specific examples that our two states have in common as we get down the road on this conversation. And finally, our neighbors to the West, the state that everyone in Missouri has to keep an eye on, our rivals, our sisters, we are joined at the hip, quite literally, Kansas, Bill Faflick, the executive director of the Kansas State High School Activities Association. Welcome, Bill. Thank you,
3: Jim. Looking forward to the conversation today. And just like you, we're keeping an eye on our neighbors
0: as well. And Bill's here because everyone in Missouri wants to know what's happening in Kansas. So how do we compare to Kansas? And that's especially true on our western border and especially in the city of Kansas City, where we don't share any schools, but we have a lot of schools that are really close to each other. So. Okay, so I want to get started by giving a little bit of a summary about Missouri's take on NIL. As most of you know, there's a Google map out there that has color coding which state is yes and which states are no for high school NIL. Where is NIL legal in the country? And Missouri has a big red on it, which I have no idea what that means. I think a yes or no in any one state on NIL is completely misleading. Our rules are nuanced, as are Missouris, but in Missouri, our philosophy has been that amateurism is not just about school participation, but about your status as an athlete. And so if you are an athlete participating in a high school sport in Missouri, that your status as an amateur goes beyond just your school participation. So our rules, and again, as I said, we have new language We have taken our amateurism rule, and we've asked our membership if we could expand that bylaw to have much more specific and explicit language around name, image, and likeness. And that's what our membership is considering right now. April is our ballot month, so they are looking at that language and deciding if that's what we want to say about amateurism through the lens of NIL. So there are some activities and benefits that are allowable, and there are some that are prohibited. But I think one major difference as I've looked into what at least Tennessee and California are doing and perhaps several other states is that amateurism is about the sport and not necessarily the school participation. And you can be a non-amateur in a different sport that you don't participate with in high school, but you must keep that amateur status 365 days of the year to retain your eligibility for high school. So that's a summary of Missouri's stance or our current stance on NIL and amateurism. And Mark, I'm going to come to you first because Tennessee made some major changes in December in regards to your stance on NIL. So could you talk to us a little about what has changed in Tennessee?
1: Really two specific areas, two specific parts of our amateur rule, and they really came as a result of two specific situations that our association had to deal with. One of which is clarification or really ratification from our membership to say that if a high school athlete or middle school athlete, we have a number of middle schools who are members of our association, if they are giving lessons, instructional services to someone, they can be compensated for that. Whereas previously, with the old language and the way our amateur rule was interpreted, that was not the case. We had to deal with a few situations over the years, not often, but At times where a student athlete was getting compensated for giving private instruction or lessons, even independent of the school. And so when we had one of those come up this year, this fall, we felt okay, we're gonna be talking to our membership soon. Is that really the way they want the rule interpreted? And right behind that was another situation that really fits more into the mold of what we're all thinking about with name, image, likeness, where we have a student who is actually a transfer from California. And she had set up a clothing apparel site where she posted an image of her in a volleyball uniform. And if you clicked on that site, you purchased something from that apparel store, then she was getting a cut of the proceeds. Now, that volleyball uniform did not reference her school. It was actually a collegiate uniform. But the way our rule cur- read, it was our interpretation was that that would be construed as a violation even though it wasn't referencing the school. So we used those two issues to go to our membership and said, okay, how would you want this to be interpreted? Do you want these kids to be rendered ineligible or not? And 90% of our membership said, no, if there's no reference to the school, the school's not facilitating the private instruction, the school is not referenced in the advertisement or whatever it is, the social media post, then we do not want that to be considered a violation. And with that, came the language right behind it. We actually drafted the language to present to the membership to say, okay, this is the way it could read if your answer is no to those two situations. And so we had a regional meeting in November, which is where the membership votes on that. And then that vote is not binding. It's shared with our legislative council, our group that makes the actual changes in December, and they voted to immediately adopt that language.
0: And what's happened since then?
1: Very little. In terms of actual issues that we had to deal with. Now within thirty minutes of the legislative council passing the language to make it legal, because they actually made it effective immediately. We had a few tweets that were circulating of kids who had inked that first deal and but nothing of any significant monetary value for those that popping up there at the beginning. We think that was more of the who wants to be first to show we're signing this deal. But specifically We've dealt with a couple of situations where we've had a profile picture that contained reference to a school uniform and potentially an opportunity for a student. Actually, I've called on my colleague here in California, Mr. Nachetti, to share with us some language that they have put in place for a gradual disciplinary action that's tiered, and we're going to be looking at that soon, but not a whole lot. It has not created a big issue in Tennessee, not yet, hopefully.
0: So because you referenced the transfer student from California, Ron, I'm going to move to you. And I spoke a little bit about a little bit of relationship between Missouri and California. For high school sports, there was a relatively big story in the fall about a girls basketball player who resided in Kansas City, Missouri, and attended one of our member schools and for her senior years transferred to California to retain the NIL deal she had with Spalding as a basketball player. So that was big news at the NADC conference in December. Among high school athletic directors, there was a buzz of concern about how are we going to handle NIL and everything's changing so fast. And this story about the girl that transferred from Missouri to California to retain her deal was a big deal. And so I said that the myth of California for lots of reasons, going back years and years, not just in high school sports, but tell us about maybe specifically... What does happen to a student who has an NIL deal having to do with their sports participation, their sports prowess in the state of California?
2: First, I want to make sure the comment about us having no rules is completely on the record (laughs) because I want (laughs) people in the state of California to hear that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We're a little unique in that we've had a rule in place since 2001 that has allowed, if in no way affiliated with their school, with the name of the school, logo, marks, uniforms, et cetera, students have been able to do what we call and still call individual endorsements. And that really came up to, because we had so many students in high schools that are also members of the Screen Actors Guild in Southern California. And they were doing TV commercials. Some were related to sports, some with no relation to sports. So we weren't going to ding them on their eligibility if they weren't using their school in any way to do this. Now, we didn't see a lot of those because the NCA still had rules on amateurism as far as if it related to your sport at all, it could potentially impact your collegiate eligibility. So a lot of our student athletes stayed away from it for that reason. Our current rule is still the same. So we haven't changed our rule at all to date. We do have a proposal in place to be voted on in April, as Mark alluded to, to tier our penalty system. But our current rule is still that you can do individual endorsements as long as there is no affiliation whatsoever with your school, your league, the CIF or a CIF section.
0: You mentioned CIF section. California is quite different than most other states, especially Kansas, Tennessee, and Missouri, where we have one overarching association in California you're a Federation of Sections. Are there any different rules per section when it comes to NIL?
2: No, we all follow the same state bylaw. A section could choose to be more restrictive if they wanted to in terms of our individual endorsements, but we have not seen that. The one rule that they can't be any more restrictive or less restrictive is our transfer rules.
0: And Bill, let's talk Kansas. I think Kansas is a little bit ahead of us in Missouri as far as giving some guidance to members. You also root your NIL policies in amateurism, as most of us do. But you passed some guidance in September 2021, I believe, to help your membership understand NIL and amateurism. How do you differ from Tennessee or California or even Missouri, and how does Kansas think about NIL?
3: I think we're very similar to what's been referenced already. Our amateur rule hasn't changed at all. All we've tried to do is provide interpretations for our membership of what can kids do? What should kids avoid? in order to maintain high school eligibility and always referring them on to their post-secondary sites as well, because we don't uh, know those rules like the colleges do. But the amateur rule really has been in place and will stay in place in Kansas. And it's not allowing student to use their athletic prowess to gain any type of financial advantage, win a cash prize, et cetera. But what we want to emphasize is kids have their identities that may or may not be connected to their success and activities. So we watch often Chief Sunday, a Patrick Mahomes commercial along with Aaron Rodgers, and nobody needs to introduce them. Everybody knows who they are. They're not in Chiefs Red and Packers Green when they do their commercials, but people know them. They're recognizing them. So if our students have their identities away from their success in school and they don't reference the school name, the school logo, the school mascot, just like Ron was talking about in California, they're doing this on their own and they're able to have that individual success do some work and then have a benefit from that. Most of what we're providing is just simply guidance for the frequently asked questions. Our guidance has really come from those frequently asked questions that our membership have provided for us, the parents have provided, the student-athletes have provided for us. We want to make sure that as an educational institution, we get that word out and let students know what they can do.
0: I wanted to hit on a concept that you talked about, Bill, and you talked about identity. And I think as I'm listening from the Missouri perspective and hearing from other states, and Chris, I'm about to get to you on a question. The difference I'm hearing is at least in Tennessee and the most recent changes in Tennessee in California and the way they have always been. And in what you just described in Kansas, Bill, is the identity for the student as an athlete at their school. That's the identity. The key there is the tie to the school in Missouri. We don't necessarily tie it to the school. If you're a high school golfer at one of the Missouri member schools, you can't go make money in golf in the summer wearing a different shirt. That's different for us. Whether it's an endorsement or it's playing, you can't get cash for that identity as an athlete in that particular sport. And I think that's where the main difference is for us. Carissa, in the conversation you've heard so far, are we representative of these four states? Are we representative of the breadth of the view on NIL in the nation? Or is it broader than this?
4: My goodness, first, thanks again, Jen, and wonderful to be with three of the most outstanding colleagues and, of course, yourself as hosts. I do think what you're hearing from your four states is representative, that we're still figuring it out. What we have seen pretty consistently, though, in the over 25 states that now have some legislative language around the opportunity for NIL deals for kids and that's not just collegiate, but in high school as well in some places, is a consistency that they cannot make money for what they don't own. So we know that NIL is really about the right to publicize what kids own. And it's their name, their image, and their likeness. And we know kids can be fantastic entrepreneurs. They're influencers on social media. They start clothing lines, as was previously mentioned. And we also know that that can be a good thing for a young person. However, kids don't own the name, image, and likeness of the school or that high school jersey that they put on. So what we've seen consistently is that as state associations try to articulate what NIL is about, especially related to the amateurism rule, they're starting to become specific about amateurism and why it's still of the utmost value in the education-based environment, but also what NIL allows and does not allow. So we're seeing a lot of states start to build language in to be proactive and start to really make as clear as possible what kids are allowed to do with their own image on their own time for their own dime and what they're not allowed to do in terms of entering into professional contracts, which essentially is when you're in high school playing for a high school team, we want to protect the amateur status of that experience, that education-based experience. So we don't believe that wearing your high school jersey on a billboard is amateur if you're getting paid to do that. So that's what we're seeing nationwide. And I really applaud our state associations for having the conversations with their membership, for knowing that like a California for decades has been different from any of us in the Midwest, New York State being another coastal area where you have kids with acting opportunities and such. So um, the different efforts, the different language is still centered around the importance of amateurism. But the state associations are doing a great job looking at what might be personalized
0: in their own state. Kansas, Bill, are you getting any pushback from your schools about your current stance?
3: No, and let me clarify. Our goal is to really define that bright line of separation of what those students own and what they don't, just as Carissa was noting. So our kids can still not go compete in golf as a golfer for a cash prize. Not only can they not, they can't be on a foursome in a scramble tournament where that team has a cash prize. That amateur component is still alive and well in Kansas and an important part of kids being kids and participating for the joy of participation, striving to become better, but being part of a school team and benefiting from that. Our membership has really supported the interpretations because they're in line with the amateur rule. We're not Astraying from that. We go as far as to say in our amateur rule that a student-athlete can teach a skill. They could teach a student a particular skill and work with a student in an individual setting, but they cannot coach a team in competition for pay. But they could do that individual work with a student-athlete, but they cannot go into that competition component. We've got some pretty good restrictors in place, I believe, to help kids stay In that pure environment where the focus is on teaching, learning, growing, being part of a school team, being inclusive of teammates, and not creating a separation of have and have nots at the school level.
0: I'm gonna throw out a scenario to each of you and just give you a chance to give a quick interpretation from your state, okay? You may not have enough, but fill in the blanks where you need to fill in. So this happened yesterday. We got from a member school. We have a rising ninth grader, current eighth grader. I'm not going to mention the sport because I don't want to call out this student at all, but they presented a potential contract. They were getting ready to sign or looking into sign. They wanted to see if this was going to affect their high school eligibility. So for this particular sport, this student was going to be part of a summer team And on that team, the expectation was that the student would have a certain number of social media posts endorsing a certain product. And that endorsement of the product on social media had to include uh, personal experience with the product and how great it was for them to use and how they could get it and those things. So in this contract, you are agreeing to a certain number of social media posts using your own status on this team to promote that product and in exchange, if you met your part of the contract, then in exchange, you got 50% off or toward the purchase of a very expensive piece of equipment for this particular sport. And when I say very expensive, right now in Missouri, the highest amount of merchandise benefit, cash value merchandise, you can't take it in cash, but you can get cash value merchandise once a month, you can get up to $250 in cash value merchandise. So this was, Way, way, way beyond $250, the 50% off of this thing. So, based on our amateurism rules, we would say for that student in this particular sport, that would be a violation and would be a detriment to their eligibility in that sport at this high school. So, Ron, how about we start in California? What would California say about that?
2: From what I understand of what you said, the student is not tied in any way to their high school team, correct?
0: Correct, correct. This is a summer opportunity.
2: So, then they would be allowed under our current
0: rules. To avail themselves of that. Okay. How about Tennessee, Mark?
1: Same answer as Ron. We had a, honestly, have had several very similar scenarios that have been posed to us that we have given that answer to. So, yeah, we would have that same interpretation provided that there's no reference to the school whatsoever on any of those posts that they are putting out there as a part of that agreement.
3: In Kansas? Kansas is very similar, but. You know, the application of what actually occurs is whether or not it would be a violation. No reference to school, no reference to school success, no reference to all league, all state honors earned as a high school team member. It has to be totally separate and apart from it. So on a summer club team, yes, I suppose it would be acceptable. However, very few kids have those pure unconnected or disconnected to their school experience type of posts that are out there. So it's in execution, it would be very difficult to do. And in addition to that, the expectation would be that that student athlete would make some type of disclaimer through those posts that he's being paid or receiving a benefit from that particular vendor. Otherwise, he becomes contrary to what the FCC might be interested in monitoring in regards to what kids are doing.
0: In the Federal Trade Commission, in some of the work we've done in Missouri with Bill Carter and trying to learn as much as we can about the legalities of NIL and what is it and what are the activities and how do you get a benefit? And the five of us on this conversation have heard from him and have a little bit of education. But social media is a huge part of the NIL landscape in both high school and college. And the FTC says, if you're going to be an endorser, an influencer, however you want to say it, you have to disclose that. You have to say that I am receiving a benefit from this company to tell you about this particular product or service. And it has to be really obvious on my social media post that Home Depot is paying me to talk about me redoing my kitchen. And oftentimes, at least for college athletes, we have a lot more data on college athletes, oftentimes they're not doing that at all because they don't know that they have to, and neither does the company that is providing the benefit to that student athlete. And I'm going to pick on Mark and Ron a little bit. Do you have any guidance for your membership and students in your schools when it comes to things that are, really shouldn't be the association's or the federation's problem? However, if our rules allow it, do we have some responsibility to help educate these students on some of their responsibilities when taking on these agreements?
1: I think that's a work in progress for us, Jen. We have referenced the NFHS course. I think that's a very basic starting point for some folks in terms of trying to give their student-athletes, parents, all those who are involved, a few do's and don'ts that are very general in nature. But you can get in the weeds really quickly when you start talking about FTC regulations, etc. And so what we have done is we have used Bill Carter and others that we know are in that space to say, hey, we don't endorse or we don't have a formal agreement with any one of those companies, but here are a couple of resources that you might be able to call on for those specific questions. We would hope that at some point we might have a more formal agreement or relationship with someone who might be able to help us with those questions when they come, but we've had very few of those.
0: Ron, do you all have any guidance on those issues? We
2: have a limited number of Q&As that we issued as soon as this became a nationwide issue. So we have those on our website. We're continually evaluating those, updating those, and we'll be doing so depending on what happens with our legislation being proposed later this month. But otherwise, we're very similar to Mark in that, no, we don't endorse other than referring them to the NFHS course, which we absolutely support. We haven't referred them to any outside education, really, because we don't know where we stand legally on that at this point. If we were to advise, endorse, suggest, forward them information regarding outside sources and something went wrong, where would we stand legally on that?
0: That's a good point. Carissa, you want to tell us about the NFHS course on NIL. One of the many services that the NFHS provides is NFHS Learn. It's a library of courses for schools and individuals. And recently, you came out with a course on NIL.
4: Yes, we did. And thanks, colleagues, for mentioning that pretty hot off the press right now, so we're just starting to get some good feedback. But we knew when this issue was emerging that we needed to do something as an educational leader of resources for state associations. So working with Bill Carter, who, as you all know, is fantastic, brought us some data, as you mentioned, Jen, primarily in the collegiate space, but we're gathering more and more about the high school space We just wanted to have something available that explained what NIL is and what it is not, and what are some of the cautions that students, their schools, and their families need to be aware of if they are, in fact, enticed or courted by an agent or agency with these proposed deals. Because the honest truth is, we've seen a lot of fails in the high school landscape Kids that have signed a contract, they've actually uprooted the family to move to another state, and then something falls through. We're seeing the emergence of conglomerates, if you will, where almost booster clubs that exist outside of an educational institution and they have a subscription model where fans can subscribe to this site, this service, and they can, for any number of dollars, get a signature or a birthday message or This or that, but they're really not doing anything positive for the high school ecosystem. We've got a handful of high profile athletes that were on the radar in early middle school and are excelling at their sport and have big deals. But the vast, vast majority of high school student athletes don't have opportunities that I think we would call wonderful, impactful, forward thinking, forward moving for their pathway as a student or their pathway as an athlete and certainly their pathway into the college ecosystem, which is quite upset right now and unknown. So all of that to come around to your question about the course, we just wanted to get something out there for schools and families and kids. We want to increase the resources we provide to state associations, especially as states start to develop new languages and their bylaws and regs in their legislature and try to keep our membership connected with what's trending there. So stay tuned at our April meeting and summit. I'm sure we'll have some information. It'll be hot topics for our executive directors and commissioners.
0: I'm having a couple of thoughts here. As I hear, and I'm really specific to Tennessee, because Tennessee, it sounds like you were more restrictive than Missouri before December, in that you didn't even allow a student to offer lessons for reasonable compensation. We did, and we still do allow that. Now you do, but then you also have gone quite a bit farther. You would probably describe it that way in the changes you had in December, based on the two examples you gave to your membership. When we talk about separating the identity from the school, the name, the nickname, the colors, the jersey, all those things, that's where the bright line is for at least your three states. The bright line is it's all about connection to the school. Can we agree there was a time when a student's ability to benefit from their identity as an athlete was not separated from their identity as a school athlete? I think there was a time when high school sports were your gateway to that notoriety. What I'm hearing now in this conversation, I don't think it's anything earth shattering, is that a number of these students, and maybe all of these students, the big deals at least, that identity was not necessarily as a result of their high school participation in that sport. Is that perhaps some of the, maybe the motivation behind made this separation from school? I would say intensity,
1: yes, because I think what our administrators wanted to do is to stay out of the weeds of trying to determine whether they're getting this deal as a result of their notoriety on the playing field or not. How prestigious, how well known, what do my stats have to be where you can attribute this offer that's come to me to mention a car lot in a social media post? How much of that is due to the fact that I'm the next door neighbor to the car guy? Or is it to the fact that I threw for 1,500 yards last season and seven touchdowns? We didn't want to get in the weeds with that. So I hope I'm somewhat answering your question. I think what this rule does for us is it takes us out of the weeds. Our administrators did not want to really sort through that. And as these new opportunities, particularly in the social media landscape, emerged, they wanted to have some clear parameters for what they could do and what they couldn't. And our schools did not want to be a part of it. They don't want what's happening in college to trickle down to the high school level. And this was a way for us to delineate what that should look like in terms of how the rules should be written and to clearly establish, to Carissa's point, what she spoke to earlier, that this is, not, this is not what they own. They can't use what they don't own in order to profit. So let's take the schools out of it. Let's take the logos out of it. Let's take the school names out of it. And that's what we were able to do in coming up with this new language.
0: Ron, do you have undue influence rules in California?
2: Yes. In fact, those are part of what we're actually updating as part of our amateur status package so that we can tie potentially any NIL deals. There can be no school involvement moving forward. We think we were already there, but we're basically tightening up our language to make sure that it's explicitly mentioned through individual endorsements.
0: And Chris had touched on this, but she used the word conglomerates. Collectives is a topic that's really taking off at the college level. As I understand it, Pennsylvania had some new language in their rules, in their high school rules this year, just this fall they were the first state to ban collectives for NIL. I can't speak to the rest of their rule, but they actually spoke directly to collectives, which really gets into the undue influence piece, which from the Missouri's perspective, we worry a little bit about, okay, as long as it's about your sport and not your school and your participation in your school sport, you can benefit. We worry a little bit about the opening that leaves for undue influence in a state Where all of our member schools, there is no non-public, no private school league. We're all in it together and undue influence is is a major concern. In certain areas of our state, it's a bigger deal. So the collective idea where, and Carissa, you talked a little bit about where the athletes can get together and have a website where you could go and find a number of student athletes to offer a service. But the other side of that is funders, and maybe we're not talking about a company But you've got a group of people who collect their money and put it all together and offer an opportunity for a student-athlete to benefit. You would be endorsing what, we're not sure. But that collective helps fund that deal. And that concern at the high school level, especially when it comes to undue influence, is something we certainly are watching in Missouri. Bill, have you seen any interesting examples in your state? You said lots and lots of questions are coming in from Kansas certain examples that you're seeing, just anything off the top of your head. I think maybe our listeners are going to want to know, what is really happening in high school? You're talking about these deals, but what's the quarterback in my town? How could he possibly benefit from being a good quarterback at the high school level?
3: I think probably the most common thing we're seeing are those social media opportunities that are there. You think about it, and football hasn't changed that much in the last 50 years, hadn't changed that much. But the stuff around school, the stuff around football has changed significantly. Social media most definitely has shaped what we do and how we do it. And we're seeing those social media pieces. We're seeing kids embracing or promoting their own line of clothing and apparel. And a lot of it is very creative. They're doing these things starting their own companies. They are being entrepreneurs. Those are probably the things that we see most often, making sure that those are separate from the school and the school time. And those things is what our rule says. So we don't see problems with those as long as we can keep that separation. But those are really probably the two big ones, social media influencing and and apparel type endorsements.
0: Mark, you talked a little bit about it's been fairly quiet, but you know there are deals out there.
1: Absolutely. And I think we're seeing what Kansas is seeing as much as anything. What I think we're finding is, and this is not a real surprise, when you take away the value of the school and the logo, there's not as much value. And there aren't many Patrick Mahomes, those types of individuals that are so recognizable at the high school level that if you take away their school piece of it, there's not as much attractiveness from a business or an entity that may wish to them. I had a call just yesterday from a school, from a principal, actually one of our board members, and their school had been approached by local business and they had just won a state championship. I'm like, you want to protect the identity. I won't say the sport, but they had won a state championship. And once they found out that there could be no reference to our championships, to their specific teams, so on and so forth, I'm pretty sure that fell apart. That is the big filter, um, and I think the reason why we haven't seen a lot of activity, and and again, that's not a surprise. That's what we were hearing from other states when we were doing our research on the front end of this proposal.
0: Carissa, is this pretty standard, this idea that amateurism is just amateurism tied to the school when we're talking about a student-athlete?
4: there are a few other things that get spun into this too, Jen. Obviously, amateurism, that is a contrast from professionalism, which implies a contract with remuneration, some financial equation, and other things. We still have states that have out-of-season contact regulations. We have what was described earlier about, let's say, the McDonald's All-American experience in basketball. Can the coach work with his or her own players? Can the kid go and receive $250 a month in the swag that might come with the experience, can't wear the high school jersey. So there are all sorts of -of out-of-season experiential things that are part of supporting amateurism. And then again, the NIL, we feel it should be carved out to help people understand what it is and is not because states are a little different in terms of what out-of-season opportunities are for student-athletes across the board. But certainly amateurism, when you are in your high school locker room and you are competing on that field or court or track wearing that jersey, it's really important that that young person is equal to other young people who are playing on that team in terms of their status as an amateur. We certainly want to protect that high school locker room, the high school hallway, the whole experience that is education-based that was referenced earlier the learning and growing and developing and doing what 96 plus percent of our high school athletes will maybe never do again, and that's compete at the collegiate level or beyond. So there's a lot tied into that, but amateurism is certainly, we hope, protected and tightly tethered to the high school education-based team experience.
0: As we get to our wrap-up point, I want to give each of you a final say, I'm gonna start with you, Ron. You've got a vote coming up on April 28th. This is where you talked about the tiered penalty system for your very long-standing rules. What has motivated that question? Do we need a tiered penalty system? What things are you seeing that has motivated you've had it over 20 years. Now we're looking at maybe changing some things on the back end of it.
2: I think potentially because we know we're going to see more of this. As I mentioned before, we saw very few examples because It could potentially jeopardize eligibility in the future with the NCAA. Now that we know we're going to be seeing more examples, and we know there's also going to be some bad actors out there that take advantage of student-athletes and their families and post something without permission, et cetera, we wanted to go to a tiered approach where the first time it's more about education and a warning and removal of the offending material, and then they keep their eligibility. If it goes beyond that and it happens again, then they lose one year. If it happens a third time, they're permanently ineligible they can always apply for reinstatement through our council. We used to skip right to the third stage that you were permanently ineligible, and we just didn't think our membership. At least we don't think. We have to wait and see what our membership says later this month, but we don't think people want to jump right to that, given the ever-changing landscape of this, not just in California, but across the country.
0: You said something very important. I think a lot of folks forget about our associations. We are education-based, and that we do write our rules to try to educate. (laughs) These are high school kids. And just like our high school administrators and teachers and coaches, part of the selling point of being in high school and participating in sports and activities is an opportunity to fail and still be able to learn. It's low risk failure. And in some cases, it can't be low risk. But even our associations are saying, how can we educate? How can we reduce the risk a little bit for honest mistakes or getting pulled into, as you said, some bad actors to begin with and find ways to retain some of that opportunity to continue to participate in high school. Because our whole point here is to allow young people to get all the benefits from participation. And this relatively new wrinkle that we've been dealing with, name, image, and likeness questions and amateurism and those things, we can't forget that even kids who are getting big deals are still kids and we have an obligation to them to continue to educate at all levels. So, Bill, any final thoughts from Kansas? You get to talk to a whole bunch of Missourians here. You got anything you'd like to say to this group? Final thoughts on NIL?
3: I really appreciate the opportunity, and I appreciate the opportunity we have to refine our focus to make sure that we remain missional in our efforts and that the amateur rule maintains congruence to the mission of being activities at schools that teach kids and encourage kids to be successful today in the classroom, the competition field or the performance stage, and prepares them for a lifetime of success because of the lessons that they're learning about communication, about collaboration, about overcoming adversity, about working with those that may be different. All of those lessons are so important and the lessons that we can learn from name, image, and likeness are equally important because they'll help students become better at life when those opportunities come along. We look at this as a true opportunity. We're, we're fortunate to have an opportunity, just like the four states around here in Carissa, to work with incredible administrators, coaches that care so much about the wonderful kids that are in our schools, kids that are going to go on to great things in large part because of what their coaches do for them and what their school administrators support and the opportunities that are provided through education-based activities. So thanks for the opportunity to provide perspective on what's going on in Kansas and how these things can help continue to mold and grow kids.
0: Thanks, Bill. Ron, anything final as we wrap this conversation up?
2: I appreciate the opportunity to come on and to do this today. If nothing else, to spell the myth that we do have a few rules in California high school sports. But I think the main thing I would say is that we have to just always be looking at our rules and we can never get away. I heard it once. I wish I could attribute it to someone that a business or an organization that says, well, this is how we've always done things, isn't going to be a business or an organization for very long. And I think we always have to look at how do we improve moving forward? Because as you, I think, very eloquently said, we're about involving and including young people, not excluding them. So I think the more we do to move in that direction, the better.
0: Thank you, Ron. Mark?
1: So i really just piggyback on what Ron just said. This has been a very healthy exercise for our association, our membership. Quite frankly, just with the, maybe the negative stigma that is associated with NIL from the collegiate level and how that trickles down to the high school level, it was a difficult journey, honestly, to walk through those meetings. But it was healthy, and it enabled us to, to have those conversations with the membership and to those administrators to pose those scenarios. This is what's really happening. Here's what you can anticipate coming at you, and how do you want your rule interpreted moving forward? And that really was a healthy exercise for us, and I think it set up some really good potential conversations for other areas of our bylaws. So while it was somewhat painful to get to the finish line, What we found was it really hasn't been that big of a deal for us in Tennessee in terms of having to sort through a lot of compliance questions, et cetera. But what it has done is it's enabled our membership to engage and and have open dialogue on the bylaws that they all agree to.
0: Those are really good points from all three of you. Carissa, you get the final, final word.
4: Well, just wonderful thoughts shared by Bill, Ron, Mark, and yourself, Jen, and appreciate the opportunity. Everything that they have said, I would just underscore repetitively as the most salient points, the most cogent approaches to looking at rules. And for the listeners, I think, no matter who you are out there, please know that your state associations and your schools are working hard to get this right and get it right for everyone. And it's been amazing to watch the national movement on this at the high school level versus the noise that we're seeing at the collegiate level. And I think for us, especially at the scholastic level, we have to protect our sports so that they are always formative experiences versus performative. When we start to get distracted by the potential for professional contracts around athletic prowess or any other identity that a young person may bring, we can get, our focus can get fuzzy. And we're looking at the opportunities to participate as performative ones. So we're really trying to keep that education based route. Our states are doing a great job and in engaging with the membership. And just, I think if people can always seek learning before they seek to land on an opinion about something, keep a broad perspective and keep the purpose of what the young people are doing at heart. And I think we'll navigate through this as an education based mission and we'll be fine. We'll be fine. But the progress being made in our state associations has been great.
0: Well, I appreciate all of your final thoughts. I also just want to thank you as my colleagues for joining me today. This was a big ask to get all of us together. And I really appreciate you making the time to have the conversation. This is a rare opportunity for us. We get together a lot, but to have focused time on one topic In a small group is rare, especially outside of our sections. We get together with our section and listeners, we're talking about regional areas of the country within the Federation, but this is a cross sectional dialogue. Bill and I, Kansas and Missouri, in the same section, but Tennessee, California are not. So, what a rare opportunity. I've learned so much. I've gotten some great ideas and really appreciated hearing the perspectives of you as executive directors, but also from the perspective of your state and your memberships. So just thank you, thank you for investing a little bit of time for this conversation, for our podcast, and to communicate with the membership in the state of Missouri. So thank you very much.